Hey guys, what's up for this episode of Flick City? I have two interviews with directors. The first director is Peter Yakel. He's the filmmaker behind Medieval. And this epic adventure set in the 15th century centers on the true story of Jan Ziska, quote, one of the most fearless warriors in history, in Czech history, that is. And so, yeah, it's a very intricate plot. And the most important things to know is if you're a fan of Ridley Scott and his movies like Kingdom of Heaven or Gladiator, and I interviewed the director, Peter Yakel about this. He was very inspired by Mel Gibson's Braveheart. So if you like these type of movies, you're going to enjoy Medieval. I really love these type of movies. So I really enjoyed this movie. Here's the thing. The lead is Ben Foster. And your enjoyment, in my opinion, of Medieval hinges on whether, I'm sorry for that noise, whether you are a fan of this A, genre, and B, are you heavily invested in the work of Ben Foster? I've loved him ever since his scene-stealing performance as a as a gunslinger in 310 to Yuma, that remake 310 to Yuma, Yuma, Yuma um, directed by James Mangold and starring Christian Bale and Russell Crowe. That said, I thought Ben Foster stole that movie and really interesting movie. Love, love that movie. I'm surprised I don't have that one on Blu-ray. I should have that one on Blu-ray. But as for this, the purposes of this movie... Ben Foster is very convincing as Jan Ziska. It's not the typical, it doesn't seem like the typical casting choice to, to, to put an American actor in as playing this legendary Czech hero, but it works because Ben Foster is very intense. And I allude to that in my interview with Peter Yakel, and he talks about working with Ben Foster. Anyways, Medieval also stars Matthew Good from Downton Abbey, Till Schweiger, you might know him from Glorious Bastards. Of course, Michael Caine, he plays this lord named Lord Borish, and he has a pretty pretty good role in this movie. And also, who, who actually surprised me, is Sophie Lowe. She plays Lady Catherine. She is a woman, she, I guess a lady. She's royalty who's actually kidnapped by Jan Ziska, again, played by Ben Foster. So it's their dynamic is very believable in medieval the heart and soul of this movie, in my opinion, lies in the action as well as the acting of Foster, Ben Foster and Sophie Lowe. They really anchor the movie. And it, I believe it comes in at two hours and six minutes. It's worth watching on the big screen. I, My mom's a big cinephile and I actually showed it, showed her the screening link and she enjoyed the movie as well. So I love it. Four stars, four out of five stars for me. My mom loves it. I, I'm looking at Rotten Tomatoes right now. There's one positive review from Variety, and there's one negative review from AV Club. As of this recording, no real Rotten Tomato scores as of yet. But again, Medieval, in theaters, September 9th, Ben Foster, epic adventure, set in the 15th century. The production di- design with amidst the budget, does, it does not look cheap. The action is brutal and violent. So if that is, if that flips your boat or, or whatever, I think this movie will please you okay at least at the very at the very least you will be entertained by this movie for me this was an upscale four out of five okay so that's the first one my interview with peter yakel the director and co-writer of the movie for medieval and the second one is my interview with tyler kornak he is the filmmaker behind this movie called tiny cinema and you're thinking what is tiny cinema it is cinema in bite-sized pieces because a the budget is pretty much low budget DIY, but it still looks good. Okay. And it's, 
Tyler Kornak, you might know him because he directed this movie several years ago, this cult film called Butt Boy. He's back with Tiny Cinema, and essentially what it is, it's a horror, thriller, comedy anthology, just two disparate stories. There is a there is a, a narrator who weaves in most of these tales together, but mainly they're pretty much des- disparate. And um, yeah, it's set in Los Angeles, and I, I really appreciated a lot of the locations and what they were able to do with the budget. It's really funny too. They're, the first segment deals with game night, a game night that centers on the mystery behind the phrase, that's what she said. You know, that's what she said. It's a low-hanging fruit comedic phrase that I go to all too often. And that theme, whether that's that's what she said is should be should be still used in the in our language or should be just removed altogether completely, is pretty much addressed and satirized with the first segment of Tiny Cinema. I believe the the movie is just worth watching just because of that first segment. Really enjoyed that. And there is another segment with a woman who. She's really tired of dating, and she finds a corpse at the bottom of, uh, you know, she, at uh, the L.A. River, okay? Well, if you know anything about the L.A. River, there's, it's really not a river. It's just a so, sort of this canal that trickles, weaves its way through L.A. County with some water going through it. You've seen it in a million music videos and movies as well, and it's here as well, the L.A. River. But she, she finds a corpse, and she has initially has that corpse be her boyfriend, her de facto boyfriend. That is that is how zany this movie can get and some may say disgusting as well. But I find it to very to be very funny. I liked pretty I'm thinking, did I dislike any of the shorts? No. There was one short regarding a bunch of mafiosos which was short. Uh, like a really short short. I didn't mind it. I just felt it wasn't as strong as the other segments, but it was still enjoyable and it fits into the theme of it some parts of this movie movie being very crass and disgusting there's also a segment regarding i guess dad, dad corny dad jokes and and deadpan humor yeah if you like dry wit deadpan humor mixed in with a little bit of grotesque crass humor along with some horror elements i i think you'll really enjoy tiny cinema obviously if you if you've seen Butt Boy before, you are well aware of Tyler Kornack's work. So, and this movie, I haven't seen Butt Boy as of yet, but Tiny Cinema makes me actually want to go back and see if Butt Boy is a really good movie. For me, Tiny Cinema gets three and a half out of five stars. It's a solid recommend. It's currently on demand as of this day, September 6th, recording September 6th, and it will be available on Blu-ray October 11th. Okay, so these are my two interviews one with medieval filmmaker Peter Yackel. That's the first segment. And the second segment is my interview with Tiny Cinema filmmaker Tyler Kornack. And would love to hear what you think of any of these movies if you see it. If you're into big screen epics, headlined by Ben Foster and a surprisingly awesome performance by Sophie Lowe, realistic lived-in performance, check out Medieval. And if you are into quote-unquote Tiny Cinema, which is pretty much DIY indie cinema with Tyler working with a cast and crew that I'm assuming he's known for years or just they're part of his troupe. It's really interesting to invest some of your time in seeing the magic that was made with very little money with Tiny Cinema. And there were there are moments that hopefully either you'll be you'll be disgusted by, you'll laugh at, maybe a little bit of both. Yeah. So that's it. All right. All right guys, thanks for supporting me, Anderson. Everybody's Bruce and Eric here on Cinematics. And tell us what you're watching. We'd love to hear from you guys too. All right guys, take care. Bye. 
tyranny, violence, Europe was indulged in war, plague, and famine. Gang, I need your help. Catherine is the last chance to help this kingdom. Her uncle is the king of France. You must unite Europe. Kidnapping her is the only way. We don't kidnap women. The king's rules are God's rules. Letting me go. I need you alive. Yeah, we'll be close. I need to find her. I know who did it, and those soldiers are never gonna find her. Why? Because I trained her. Tomorrow she will be yours. You must protect her. I will do whatever it takes. I will burn every tree in the forest. He cannot be allowed to get Catherine. If you choose to fight, you may die. But for your cause, and that is a good death. Who's got? Kings may be chosen by God, but they still make the mistakes of men. Peter. You know, I really love, really love this film. And I'm just going to start right off. One of my all-time favorite filmmakers is Ridley Scott. And I asked someone who worked with Ridley Scott, what was the key for him as far as making something so personal, but with an epic production? And the actor, I believe it's, it was Mark Strong, he said that Ridley really focuses on, on the really minute details. And for you, what was the key in just mounting this project, which has such an epic scale, but is very, very much at its heart a very personal story? Uh, I totally agree. You know, uh, devil is in details, and I just like I care about every detail. That because you know, films in these days they are created in the last you know like months, you know, basically like couple months. You know, just like at the end of the process, you can make from a good movie, great movie, but you have to care about every detail, you know, I just like, so uh, I always cared about all the details from the beginning when I was starting uh, to write the script uh, until the, you know, during the shooting and later on. Too. So uh, I think like, you know, basically you have to believe that the topic is good enough that it can, you know, handle the whole film, you know, and just like basically uh, tell something new to people. And I love, you know, Ridley Scott's, you know, Gladiator, you know, of, you know, just like that's probably the the best one for me. Uh, and, you know, uh, or, you know, uh, Braveheart, 
you know, that's another one which I love. And I always wanted to do a movie like that, you know, I, with that scope. And, you know, it's difficult for a guy from, uh, from Eastern Europe, you know, and basically uh, direct, you know, uh, legends like Michael Caine uh, and, you know, Till Schweiger, Ben Foster, other actors, you know, like that. And it's just like, uh, I, I wasn't worried because, you know, I'm a fighter and I, I come from, you know, I, I used to do judo as a professional fighter for, let's say, 20 years. And, uh, but, you know, I thought like, you know, I have to do it with my instincts and I always do everything just like uh, based on my instincts. If I feel that something is right and everybody else feels that, you know, it's not right, I still, I, I'm still going to do that. But of course, sometimes I like to hear some somebody's, you know, ideas. I'm going to, I listen to every idea. But sometimes it's too much, you know, and you always have to be focused on some on something what you want because nobody sees in your hand, in your head. And sometimes it's hard to explain everything because it's a lot of combinations and it's only there. So sometimes it's tricky, but you still have you have to be focused and have that idea and follow it till the end, you know, until the movie is done. And even later on in distribution, you just have to have that, you know, direction. You know, maybe this is a very inaccurate question for me, but you you mentioned judo and and your years of passion and and that journey. You have a focused vision, but sometimes when you get collaboration and you realize, oh well, maybe I should redirect or reshift my thinking this way. Has does that background in judo really help as far as just being open to different changes while also being focused on your on your end goal? Uh, absolutely. When I when I was young you know my father was the first uh the czech olympic you know judo guy at olympic games you know in 1972 in munich and when i was young i said okay i'm gonna i gotta get to olympic games you know that was my dream and the whole time i was focused on that and at the end of the career you know it was 2000 i got to sydney olympic games so I, because I was focused all the time from the beginning, I want I knew what I wanted, and I think it's very important to have your goals. And I usually, you know, want something big, you know, even something what I cannot achieve. So I wanted to win Olympic Games, but I didn't win it. I got there. I was thirteen, but I got there, and that was that. That's the point, you know. You always, for me, I have to have some really big goals. And to to go after it, you know, and judo helped me with a strong will, you know, because you have to train, you have to, you know, just like do everything uh, just to be the the best. Uh, And uh, film is the same. You have to uh, do a lot of rehearsals, you know, you have to, uh, you know, just like uh, uh, change the script all the time, talk to actors, change stuff, you know, so... It's basically the same. And then you get to the field, like, you know, that's the shooting. You have to survive it, what is because it's usually very tough. And then, again, I enjoyed in editing, you know, because I love editing. And it was it was beautiful time. And especially because I had uh, Steve Rosenblum, who is an editor of Braveheart. So the best film, you know, I, I loved the most. I had an editor... You know who was helping me with my movie, and he was—he's a great guy, and he, he told me uh, many things. You know how how they did, you know, Braveheart, 
And, you know, we were trying just like to do something different here, but it's always, you know, making film, you know, it has some structure and his experience was absolutely unbelievable. You know, I'm sure a lot of movie fans, will, they'll look at something like Medieval and they, they might say, wow, in my fantasy, I want to do a movie as awesome as, as this epic and personal. I want to do that. But what do people who say that don't understand? I'm assuming they don't understand that. The, the, I'm assuming there's a big sacrifice that a filmmaker and artist makes to make something on the grand scale of medieval. I, I know it's a, a trope, but I mean, do you have to sacrifice just, I, I don't know, not, uh, not watching Netflix for hours or playing video games or, or even going outside? You're talking about the, the post production edit. Do you just have to be fully immersed or am I overthinking things with that? No, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. If you want to do something like this, uh, you want to spend the time with the material before you shoot it. You 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 want to read a lot of books. You want to uh, watch any any movies related to that. You know, just like to get uh, some documentaries. You know, uh, about historical stuff uh, to get some inspiration. What you could use in your movie. So that was the first part of the process. You know, so I spent you know most of my time uh, writing the script. You know, and uh, changing stuff. And, you know, trying to find the best things which could happen at that time, you know, and just something what is related to the story. And then you want to, of course, as a director, you have to be on the set every day. And that's just like, you know, it cannot be done differently. Uh, find the location. But later on in editing, I was there really every day. Uh, not every director does this, you know, but I think that's the way how you just like you have to do, to do it right. You should do that, you know. So you have to be there. And same with the editing, I mean, sound or and uh, grading, color grading, all that. You know, I was there because that's the way how you can control everything. And all the details, what people might not see, are going to be there. So I wanted to make sure that everything is done my way because I'm, you know, just like... Uh, this kind of guy who needs to have you know everything as he as he wants. But of course, another thing, when we were shooting, there was a lot of stuff which were not happening uh, as I planned. So I had I was just like frustrated, and I had to think about it differently. And sometimes it brought something even better because you know we couldn't, for example, we couldn't uh, have the fight uh, as I wanted because uh, those actors couldn't train with uh, the stuntman. And they, it would be too dangerous or, you know, it wouldn't look good. So I created something else. I, you know, add, you know, some smoke, some fog, whatever, and made it different. And that's just like made it uh, even better. You know, I've interviewed a lot of actors in my life, and I think maybe I could put in one hand how many and Ben Foster's in this one hand as far as commitment to the craft and you feel like you no matter what role he's absolutely believable are these the elements to, are is that the reason why you wanted Ben as, as a collaborator and lead for your project because of his believ believability and his commitment to his role uh absolutely you know when I when I met him for the first time it was just like we were talking and discussing stuff, you know, and it was perfect. We had, we were on the same page. Uh, and then he came back. Uh, I, I mean, he came to Prague. Uh, we met in person for the first time and we were just like talking about all the details of the movie. It was unbelievable. And then 
it started, you know, and you were so focused, you know, on everything. You had to discuss every detail. Sometimes it, it was, you know, very difficult, you know, just like to get there and, you know, do it right. But it was really worth it, you know. It was just like, you know, because it's just like he's this kind of guy who is very focused, you know, and, uh, you know, just like he wants to he wants to do it right. He wants to understand what he's doing and, you know, why I, I am doing stuff. So it was it was really crazy experience. And your choice of Sophie, I thought, was also great because I, I really loved her in this movie called Blow the Man Down. And she just has a really – she seems to have just an interior life that you really can't uh, teach. It, uh, can you just talk about casting her? Uh, yeah. There was like, you know, I had many choices for that character, you know, and like, you know, I was watching some tapes. And then when I saw her and she said like one word, I said, that's her. That's her. That's her. Immediately. And that's the instinct, you know. Sometimes I just feel this is the character. This is Catherine. She plays Catherine. Like, this is Catherine. She, it, it's her. So because she's got something what I lo- love about her, like some, she's uh, very, like, uh, she's strong. But on the other side, there is something very uh, soft about her. Like, you know, she's uh, an emotional and I, I exactly needed this. And, you know, she plays Lady Catherine, you know, so she is this kind of girl. And I could imagine her in the medieval times. You know, she feels right for that. So not every actress looks like from medieval times, especially in these days, you know, with all. <laughs> you, you know, I, I'm a, one of my favorite genres is Westerns. And I love Westerns when, when you actually go into the town, you, you actually see the mud as opposed to Westerns where you look like, oh, they shot that on a studio. So can you just talk about re, um, finding the right color for your film? Because I just thought you just punched it correctly because if it, if it went one way, it could have been too ornate and lavish and you didn't want to do that. How did you just find that for the color and the look of your film? Uh, I always wanted the film to be very real. So, and beautiful on the other side, you know, just like, you know, I wanted dirty and, you know, just real. So I was trying, I, I did some tests also with the grading. So before we started shooting, I already knew how it's going to look like. And, you know, so we had these, you know, basically the grading prepared. So it helped me a lot because I, uh, it's called loot, you know, and you have them in camera, you know, you can change them for different, you know, uh, exteriors, interiors, and then you immediately see how it's going to look like. You know, it's very similar to, to what, what was your idea. So it helped me a lot. So I knew immediately from the beginning, you know, uh, how it's going to be. And I wanted, yeah, this is exactly, you know, how I, how I wanted it. Okay. My, my final question to you is just right off the top of your head. Can you name one of your all-time favorite movies? And what is it about this film that still speaks to you today? For me, it's definitely uh, Braveheart, number one. Gladiator, number two, probably, or the same. Uh, the Last Samurai. I'm this kind of guy, you know, I love these kind of movies, you know, epic with, uh, uh, you know, strong story. I always need very strong story. It's, it cannot be just about fighting, then I don't care. You know, I, I, it has to have some, you know, love story, you know, or some, some emotional moments and uh, heroism, you know, these kind of things. And yeah, and I, I think just like, uh, I always have to feel, I have to remember the movie. 
And I watch all these movies many times, 10 times, 15 times, 25, maybe maybe 50 times. Because I just wanted that, that feeling again and again. And I think the movies should be about feelings. Thank you so much for your time. I really love Medieval. And I'm uh, looking forward to I hope you, do you have a couple more epic films lined in your, <laughs> or are you just going to take a break? What are you going to do? Do you have a couple more things coming up? Yeah, I, I'm going to take a break as a director, probably. I have written some some other stuff, which I might do later on, but uh, I'm, I'm going to be producing stuff, but it's uh, I'm going to stay there. You know, I got some offers as a director, but I don't feel right now that I'm ready. I need some time, and I found out that usually uh, it takes me like five years to make a movie, so it's another five years I'm, uh, I've got a break, kind of. Right. Thank you so much. Great job. And, and hope to talk to you down the road again. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Right, take care. Bye-bye. Tyler, first off, Tiny Cinema, I have two pointed questions first. Okay. Are da- Number one, are dad jokes underrated or should we get rid of them? And part B of that is that what she, that's what she said. Is it still funny or let's get rid of it? Great questions. I'm going to start with that's what she said. I think we should totally get rid of it. I feel like uh, for us, that was part of the joke. It was such a dated old joke that just gets, you know, it's Michael Scott, it's Wayne's World, it's all this old, it's just old, it's dated. We thought that was funny that the guy, because it's so old, he didn't understand the joke. Uh, That was part of the whole thing. That should definitely go. Dad jokes, not so much. Um, I feel like those are going to, those should be around forever. Because part of a dad joke is, it's kind of bad. And it is like the whole thing when you hear a dad joke, it's like, oh man, that's horrible. That is such a bad joke. And that's, that's what a dad joke is. So I think there's charm in them. They should be around forever. You know, you know, with, I think tiny cinema, I think it's, it's inaccurate in a good way because it's very ambitious. The the fact that you're blending horror, thriller, uh, subversive genre elements along to top that all off with de- deadpan dry wit humor, which w- some people will really love, some people mm-hmm. will not. Talk about right. just not compromising your vision and not actually making a broad movie as far as... Yeah, that. yeah. Uh, that's always the thing up top. We don't... Uh, I'm not interested in making those <laughs> kind of movies. Uh, I, I like movie... My favorite movies in the world aren't those movies, and it's the same with the group of people that I make it with. Um, I mean, I do like... some. I love some of those movies. But that's not always what I'm looking for uh, when I when I watch and experience things. Um, I like things that are different and uh, uncomfortable and weird. And I know a lot of people that do as well. And I know a lot of people who don't. So it's just one of those things. I always think that it's good to have a down the line divide, even if it is 50-50 or one side's bigger than the other. Um, I always think that's a sign of something different, something being different. And uh, different is important, I think. So... Um, yeah, not to get too whatever about it, but, um, it, you know, consciously, we know that going in. It, it, it's a weird thing when you make something that's sort of offbeat and weird. When you're sitting in a theater uh, full of people, you do have this thought where you're like, man, we should have just played it down the line and played it safe. And, and you know, uh, we're a little bit handled it with uh, a bigger, broader audience in mind. I, I would feel way more comfortable right now in this theater if we did that. But then you talk to people after who appreciate what you're doing being so weird and it just uh it makes it all worth it and that's what i love so yeah 
Yeah, there's a there's a bunch of myths I've learned over the years, and one of them is I, I'm assuming uh, shooting in Los Angeles costs a lot of money. Uh, number one, and number two is it's hard to make a really visually immersive and good looking movie with not too much of a budget. And I feel with Tiny Cinema, you broke those myths. Is that a myth, or what was what was the key for you to actually have a certain budget and still make the film look good, and then shoot around? I, I'm assuming different parts of Los Angeles, which I think were really just beautiful to look at. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, we've gotten good at, I think we've gotten good at that. Even with my, with my first film, we sort of figured that out. It's like, while you're writing, we, we've we lived here for a while. So while you're writing, you're like, okay, well, we could do, we have this location so we can write this scene to take place there. You kind of do it that way, as opposed to dreaming up this scenario where, uh, you know, this is going to be on a spaceship or whatever. It's like, oh, fuck. Now we have to find a spaceship with not a lot of money. Um we write it into the script where we know we can afford something. And then it's like, Oh, well now it's there. We know we can do it there. It's cheap. It's going to be easy. And that's sort of how we wrote this whole thing. We had all the locations in mind and uh, the camera helps a lot. You know, we're shooting on an RE Alexa camera, which is really nice. And um, we're all technical nerds and we love all that stuff. So yeah, you know, it was low budget, but we tried to make it feel bigger than what we had. And I think we, I think we achieved that. So yeah. How did you, oh, well, first of all, how did you find the house at the end of the film? You kind of tricked me because I felt like this was shot in one of these beautiful Hancock Park locations. That's number one. And number two was just the desert, uh, the desert short, which I thought was really cool as far as just getting it out in the, seemingly out in the middle of nowhere. So, right. Yeah. Both of those actually are just locations here you can rent for independent films. So you just look them up online through Google and they're there and they have really reasonable pricing. And you're like, um, all right, we're going to do this amount of days. They ask you how many people are coming. And uh, yeah, that house has been in American Horror Story and it's been in a lot of different things. That location out in the desert has a lot of different stuff. A lot of music videos are shot out there and stuff. And um, yeah, they're just like these recycled sets that different people use. And they're a lot of times they're big enough where you can make it look different. And if you watch some of the stuff that has been shot there, it's like, okay, we'll avoid that because if people, you don't want it to be the same exact thing. So it's just figuring all that out, you know? Yeah. Also, what what is the advantages of just having just your, I guess, colleagues and friends as part of this whole, it, I'm assuming there's some kind of tiny cinema crew that you've amassed over the years. Can you just tell, talk about just the origin story and then growing it? And is this a crew that you want to completely like, like Robert Altman style, just have that crew as you move forward in your career? Yeah. So the crew has been built over a number of years. It started with all of our online stuff. Um, some of these people I went to film school with, it goes back that far. And then some of these people we've met along the way through our online content. So people will reach out and they'll send me um, like Austin Lewis, who's one of my main collaborators. He edited half of this. He's in the first chapter. Like a lot of us wear multiple hats. Like you'll act in it. You'll do this. Some are PAing that are acting in it. We just all sort of come together and make it happen. And that takes time. Like you meet people that you really know are going to be down for the count and in for it and believe they just like to have a good time making weird stuff. And uh, you build sort of this roster. And yeah, as far as, as far as in the future goes with all those people, I think, I think just over time, things do tend to change. Like things does like, you know, people come and go and, people have different things they want to pursue as well. Like there's a few people that want to try directing things. They want to try to go off and uh, you know, I want them to do that as well. And 
you know, you just, everybody tries to support one another and you go off and do your own things. And I think the roster will change, but some will remain the same from the beginning to end. And then, you know, you recycle different people in and out. Like even this project, we had new people come in that we didn't have on the last one. And those are new people you build things with, or you learn, you learn not to work with certain people again, you know, it's all over the place. So, yeah. You know what? So I'm a Gen Xer. So I remember back in the early, like late eighties, early nineties, if you're an indie filmmaker, you get your film in Sundance, you get some kind of deal. And then that was sort of the business model. I remember back in the day, but Mm -hmm. for someone like you as an indie filmmaker, as well as a, a producer and, and what is the realities of just making a living day to day with your content and, and actually making content that is very specified and creatively ambitious. Okay. So your generation is my favorite film generation. So it makes sense that you're saying that because all my heroes came out of your generation. And um, I, I still believe, I believe especially now because um, I just think history repeats itself, but your generation came out of the eighties, which I there's a lot of comparisons now to what's going on with movies uh, that was going on in the eighties, like with studios, it has to, there's certain criteria you have to hit. Things have to be a certain way in the eighties. Like everybody had to be likable and the action star was huge and all of that. Then there comes, there comes like a Pulp Fiction that sort of changes the game. And then there comes like the set, the Fincher comes after that. It opens these doors to all these amazing filmmakers. I think that it's gotten to a point. I like to believe this, anyways. TV is a very different thing now. It's it's a it's a lot better than it than it's ever been, in my opinion. But I think in film, the pendulum might come back the other way to the independent filmmaker. There just needs to be somebody who opens the floodgates again and makes. I think the audience is craving something different at this point. I think, or they're they're starting to, anyways, and they're they're going to want to see something that. Um, that just kind of blindsides them and takes them by surprise, something they haven't seen before. Uh, and I think that's definitely on the horizon. I think that's coming. I, I think you're even starting to see it a little bit in films, even this past year in, in comparison to the last few years. So um, as far as me going to making a living goes, you know, I, uh, I'm a struggling artist still. Like I, I, I do these for the love of doing it in hopes that something bigger and better is going to be coming after. And that's all it is for me right now. And that's a reality, you know? Um, And that's what makes it exciting at times, but there's hardships that go along with it. And you just keep, you keep pursuing, you keep pushing. And then, you know, you work whenever you can on whatever you can and uh, you hope for the best, you know? Yeah. And tell me if I'm wrong in this, you're mentioning how some, the quality in television is is better, and yes, I agree with that. But sometimes when I see all of these projects, and I don't—I hate to say this—when I see all of these TV projects out there on, on all these streaming platforms, I just feel so overwhelmed. And when I try to watch them, I go, "Oh, these are these are really good." But I still feel I'm a, this is tiny cinema. I I still crave real cinema. And why? Right. There, why is it feels like even though it's good, I feel I look at TV as content, and I look at movies like tiny cinema as like real down and dirty cinema and why is it hard with all this content to find really interesting films like yours out there? I don't, so. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, I think the studios have are a big part to do with that right now. Um, I think there's a lot of different factors that go into that. Sometimes it's an individual, sometimes it's just the system that's in place and there's just a lot of stuff being made now. So especially with TV, so it can get cluttered, but I know what you mean, especially coming from your generation too. uh, 
there's a certain feeling you get from those movies in that era that is hard, hard to replicate. And um, I hope that that comes back, even if it's in a new way, shape or form, that feeling just needs to come back in some way. And I think it is starting to, I'm not going to name any movies or anything, but I think it's starting to happen. And uh, I hope it continues to happen, you know? Within, with all the whole tiny cinema, I remember my podcast partner, he was really excited about this movie because he, he was a fan of the, the YouTube channel as well and the whole ethos behind tiny cinema. But over the years, have you actually has been, has a positive aspect of you being an indie filmmaker just generating a community, not just tiny cinema, but fellow cinephiles who really appreciate your work, who really love Butt Boy and now are going to really love this? Is, has that been a big part of who you are as a filmmaker, just getting the, this kind of cinematic group behind yeah. you? Yeah. Yeah, that's been that's been awesome. That's been amazing. Like I we just went to Florida to premiere this at a festival and I really noticed that. And it was it was um I could I could just feel it. It's just something you feel when you talk to people. I'm like, oh, it's growing a little bit. Like it's different than it was at Fantastic Fest for Bubway. It's like nobody nobody was really behind it at that point. They were excited about it, but it, it just felt a little bit different. And um honestly, that's the best part of it because when you talk to those people that's better than sitting down in a theater full of strangers nervously watching your thing. Those conversations after is kind of, that's kind of it. That's kind of what you, that's why you do it, I guess, you know, besides for the sake of making a movie, but um, no, that's the best part. And I hope that continues to grow. Like uh, I don't want to say too much on this, but even the next thing I'm trying to get going, I'm trying to make it a little step more into a broader audience while keeping the same spirit of what it, we're doing now and making it a little bit more mature and a little bit smarter, but also have the weirdness and, you know, it's all conscious thought. So you're constantly just trying to grow that army, you know, and yeah. see what it's not an army yet right now. It's just a little group, but <laughs> okay. You know you know, a final question is, and you said you're not going to name movies, and I apologize for this, but can you, right off the top of your head, can you name one of your all-time favorite films? I know it's an impossible question for a cinephile like you, but right off the top of your head, one of your favorite movies, and what is it about this film that resonates with you as, as a cinephile? Oh, my God. This is I, really I, tough. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, God, it's so hard. It's so hard. It, it really depends. Like, right now, what am I into? Yeah. You know, I'm on a huge... This is going to sound so cliche and not exciting at all, but I'm on a huge Tarantino kick right now. Um, I thought once upon a time in Hollywood, this is my, I know people have different opinions on it, but I thought that was one of the better movies made in the past, in my opinion, this might be bold, but in the past 20 years, I can watch that movie so many times. I don't know what it is. It's just the most rich cinematic experience I've, I've ever experienced. I love the scope of it. I love that it was, Every genre rolled into one from Kung Fu to hangout movie to horror to literally all, all these genres somehow was pulled off and the comedy was great. Um, I've been, I've been super into that. Um, I was just talking to somebody else about Todd Solins too. Uh, he's somebody that, you know, uh, I admire greatly for just his unique vision and you've never been to the place that he's presenting in front of you. And, um, the themes that he hit are really dark, but there's a lot of comedy in it. And um, yeah, I mean, I could go on and on and on, but <laughs> there's just a few off the top of my head. Tyler, thank you so much for your time. 
Tiny Cinema, out in theaters today. September 6th, it's on demand. But quick mini question, are you still a physical media fan? Is there still a place for it with your film coming out on October 11th on Blu-ray? Do you st- I, I'm a conspiracy theorist. I like to, c- to keep as many physical media as I can because who knows what, what who will knows? happen. Yeah, and so. then you'll just have a collection of movies you can watch all day when the world's ending. Um, epicpictures.com, you can get the Blu-ray. It's there for sale. There's special features in it as well if you're into that. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff in it. So. Great. Thank you, Tyler, so much for your time. Thank you so much. It was nice to meet you. All right. Pleasure. Take care. Take care.